Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to the Film Board, the movie conversation podcast reviewing the latest releases that you've seen and want to talk about. I am your host, Ocean, and on this episode, we are talking about Top Gun Maverick. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? 
Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage the expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. Smoke in the air! Smoke in the air! You will never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Today, I am joined by two phenomenal podcast voices uh, with, uh, with opinions that you will, not, you, you will never want to miss and will delight you with, with their dissection of this movie. The, the first of which is Chrissy Lentz. Uh, permission to buzz the tower, Ocean. Sorry, Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. <laughs> uh, so, and, and joining Chrissy and I today is uh, Mr. Pete Wright. Okay, who am I? M- Mouser? I'm Iceman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Is that rough? Was it too much? That's did I did I actually buzz the too tower? Too soon, yeah. Too soon. Okay. Too soon. I, I, regret, yeah. I regret all of that. I yeah, regret okay. all, all of right. that. <laughs> I do want it known that I was just called Mouser. I don't know. Maybe that was the guy I didn't know about. No, but yeah. There was no, Rooster the, the, and Gooster and <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Bob, the best call sign, Bob. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> welcome both of you, and let's uh, this, we'll just start with uh, setting the bar. Um, so, without diving into the movie at all, uh, so Chrissy, I'll start with you. Please uh, tell me what you already knew about Top Gun uh, Maverick, which I assume is everything. And uh, if, if if that's if that's all what it is, then just skip that and tell me what expectations you had going into it. Uh, well, I. My expectations were weird. Um, I definitely loved the first movie when I was a kid and like practically memorized it and then watched it again as an adult and could not have hated it more. So I had very mixed feelings uh, about Top Gun Maverick. Um, As you know, I was not at all convinced it even really was truly a movie. Uh, (laughs) So I went into it with i don't know with the expectations of like being really excited for whenever something i love from the 80s gets any kind of like it's not even a reboot a sequel 
<laughs> a million years later. So I would say my expectations were mixed, but high. All right. Uh, uh, Pete, what were your expectations uh, going in? Giddy. I, I think is the word. They were giddy, uh, mostly because of the crazy stories of the production that I had read up on. I was largely spoiled on the story, and so I didn't go in with any high expectations that this was going to end up as as high cinema, but the production of the thing was something to really uh, enjoy. And so um, that that was really what, what the bar was. This was going to be Tom Cruise at his Tom Cruisiest, and um, so I I feel like I feel like what was written on the tin is what, is what I expected, <laughs> and we shall see if that's what I got. Yes, I, I went in. I would. I will. Instead of uh, stealing your word, I went in ecstatic, okay. and I was. Uh, yeah, I was really uh, hyped up for this. That uh, you know that I, I I did not plan to be, but as it got closer, I think as it got delayed more and more, and then I saw more and more about it. Uh, also with the, the the making of it, what they what they did, and then just you know. It started bringing back the, the you know the the ten year old nostalgia for the Cold War uh, movie that, that I that I had going on. So. Movie, movie. That's the important part. Yes, uh, nostalgia yes. for the Cold War movie, not nostalgia yeah. for the Cold War again. <laughs> so that would be yeah, that, that's two very different uh, things. For those of you that have missed every trailer and want to know what this is about, uh, thirty plus years after the original Top Gun, Captain Pete. Maverick Mitchell is a test pilot in California for a program that is about to be shut down by Admiral Chester Kane. And just before the Admiral shuts down the program and arrives, uh, Maverick gets a gets a call. Um, uh, gets a call, and uh, he is being called back to Top Gun. And unbeknownst to, unbeknownst to both uh, Maverick and the Admiral, he is being sent there not to fly a mission, but to teach younger, more recent graduates of Top Gun how to accomplish and survive the unknown, incredibly dangerous mission. Mm-hmm. Pete, mm. tell me mm. what was going through your mind and how giddy were you with that opening montage? Oh, controversial. Uh, Controversial. Uh, I, reg- I regret that you opened with me on that. Oh, um, really? You did, it was, yeah. You did, you I, I, the more I think about it, the more I hate it. Like, I what? wanted this movie to just be its own movie and not be a glorified remake of the first one. And opening with the same jet porn on the same boat, but this time with zero connection to where the movie actually starts, I thought was ridiculous. I didn't need Danger Zone. I didn't need any of the other music cues. I needed to open in the hangar with him eating his eggs and open in the magazine. That's where the movie starts, and everything else before that was gratuitous nostalgia porn. And I didn't care for it at all. Well, I find that I guess I am diametrically opposed. It was the <laughs> porn that I wanted to see. I was like, him that Kenny Loggins is coming in with the danger zone, drum beat co- coming in, and they're all just, you know, pointing at planes, flying places and stuff and everything. It's right. Just just pointing directions. I don't know what's going on. I don't care what's going on. There's a guy on the floor, like in a little bubble thing with the yeah, planes bubble guy. by him and everything. And the planes are shooting up and the guys are high-fiving because they got a plane to take off from the carrier like they've been able to do for the past 50 years. I don't care. I loved it. I thought it was great. Chrissy, break this time. Um, I forgot about it. I thought it did just start oh. with him in the same. <laughs> oh. Oh, my heart Save is for, broken. Like, opening montage, I was like, the what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh you mean the pre- the pee break? 
I mean, they begin with the same opening crawl as the first movie, and then it's straight into the danger zone. Yeah. I guess I was like, I was so like in my head about the Tom Cruise, like personal greeting uh, at the beginning. Oh, there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I was like, so I was like, whoa, does he get to talk to me? Does he get to just talk to me (laughs) before the movie? Like, I was so um, frozen in that headspace. That, yeah. that I just was like, yeah, I'll have a quiet moment yeah. with him and his airplane well, hanger. I was like thinking, how dusty must all of that get? Yeah. He has yeah. open so, books. They're going to get all blown around. <laughs> <laughs> and for anyone who's listening to this later, if you saw this movie in the theater, the uh, thing that we referenced before is that, yes, there's a, a, a personal message from Tom Cruise to the audience thanking everybody for seeing this in the theater. So if you're, if you're listening to this six months from now and you just saw it on Netflix, then uh, I, I doubt you got the same message. Oh, you don't think he'll make a new one that's like, new hello, one's like, Thank welcome you. to Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With that hello, bum, bum. hello, idiot. <laughs> Why didn't you go see my movie on IMAX? <laughs> That's what it's going to be. <laughs> okay. All right. So since uh, you, t- since both of you uh, want to start at the, uh, the beginning of him coming in the Maverick, uh, so the first, uh, the first, uh, the first scene of the movie he comes out of his airstream. He comes out of his airstream trailer. That's right. And apparently, he has been living in. I mean, it's a, it's a big, huge hangar. Yeah, uh, but that apparently is where he's living is in a big, big giant hangar. And so he is uh, a test pilot. And uh, the test pilot, again, is, uh, the program is going to be shut down if they can't get a plane to go to Mach 10. Um, why they need the plane to go to Mach 10 or anything else about the plane is unknown and undis- undiscussed. And really, yeah, does it matter? No. Because um, it's top secret. It's exactly, top secret. It's top they secret can't tell you that in right. the movie. Exactly. Because of so the secret. Go- it's going to be shut down by yeah. uh, the, uh, the aforementioned uh, Admiral... Kane, Ed played by Ed Harris, uh, which, is, which is, you know, great casting. Uh, for Ed Harris on it. And so he's going to shut the program down. He's going to come do, do it in person. He's not there yet. So Maverick being Mavericky said, hey, let's uh, take the test plane out now before he shuts us down to prove that we can do Mach 10, even though that day's trial test was for Mach 9. Um, and so uh, in this, and I guess you know, what, uh, since this is really the start and the impetus of the movie, so he's really kind of showing that he's trying to I think they're somewhat humanizing Maverick because then it's like, well, I, you know, even though he's he'd have great uh, punishment for him doing it, he knows what'll happen if he doesn't because they're going to shut the whole program down, and and then they go off in the scene. And so I I view the scene kind of as a a part of you know you're trying to establish that he's grown a little bit as a person where he cares about other people, um, but also just you know a a cool scene of a plane going fast. Yeah, and then also he doesn't care about them that much because then he's like. He get he gets the job done, and then he's like, maybe just a little faster, and kablooies <laughs> the whole thing. Well, he just blows up the plane, and, you know. But the the, the do you but think they, they still... have six of them? Do you think they made six of them? There's probably just that one, right? <laughs> I mean, it seemed very mavericky. But I'm gonna say I, I loved it. it. I loved yeah. it. But it seemed. Just a just a touch on the ego nose mm-hmm. for for so early in the film because the way they set up that opening scene he seems so introspective he seems yeah. so thoughtful and so like he's got all the pictures of history like this is a guy who has come a long way in thirty years and has learned some lessons and the first thing that happens is he 
kind of steals the plane because he's already effectively grounded. Like, you can't say he didn't know he was going to be grounded. So he gets in the plane, cons everybody else to do it with him, and then blows it up by going over the, the, the goal line by far enough. And that's not just a little bit, right? It's like he's traveling 7,700 miles per hour at that point. And uh, faster than that is the plane starts to break apart. And so, uh, you know, it's it's the big moment. We need the big moment. And it, the joke in the diner wouldn't work without the big moment. Uh, but it's, it, it is something that stopped me a little bit. I, I I thought the the joke of the diner was a very sweet scene. I actually it was actually, Earth. I, I, I thought actually, it was great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was so I did too. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, it was really no. cute. There was, was a cute. a real jokester in the theater I was in. Uh, that as you see the the plane break up in the sky, he went, "Well, that was short." <laughs> like the movie was over. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Just yeah. right. Yeah, no, I, there, there was there was a, a a person in my audience that actually asked, "Did he die?" And I and I kind of turned, and and I was glad I was in a dark theater because my look on my expression face would have been like, uh, "You thought the movie would end here?" You know, so. and that was a joke. It wasn't a yeah. movie. The entire rest of it was an Applebee's was commercial Miles. because <laughs> Tom Cruise died. There is. I, I, I though I did not feel that the opening part, well, uh, though, communicated him being at all introspective because I, I, I read the pictures differently because when you look at the pictures, they were all from, you know, thirty years ago, except for the recent ones of, uh, which I did not realize. Brad, uh, Rooster's name was Bradley, Bradley Bradshaw? Bradshaw. Bradley Bradshaw, which That's I was rough. like, wow, they just That's they rough. hated him. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, but but all the pictures were from you know the first movie. And that was it. That like nothing, you know. Basically, as if his life has been stuck in time from that point to this. Um, you know that there's uh, Bradley has grown up and lived somewhat of a life, but that's it. And then even to the point of where, um, so after he blows up the, which I'll which I'll bring up in a second, where he, after he blows up the plane, gets himself back, he's get uh, he's going to be, uh, you know, grounded for life. That this is it for him in the Navy. Uh, he gets a, the the admiral gets a call and says, I, I can't believe I have to do this, which I th- I thought was a callback to the last movie where the first oh, movie was like, I can't believe yeah. I have to do this, Almost but I'm sending you the top gun. Yeah, yeah. there are and, a and lot like, dun, of dun, dun, those dun. callbacks. That is yes. like, and, and I'll just set up my, my complete for me. I in, really enjoyed my time with this movie and I watched it in that kind of every muscle is tight experience that I just, by the end, I realized I'm exhausted because I've been flinching for two hours and ten minutes. Uh, but the template beats to the first movie were narratively exhausting too. Mm-hmm. I I just found it like give me a new movie. Don't give me the old movie with just better cinematography. I felt like it was lazily written. So that is that is I think where my maybe the sound of curmudgeonness comes uh, with my take on this movie. There was that. There was the it almost being word for word the same speech of like I just can't believe I gotta send you to Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, the the toothpick, the little toy plane bit. There were lots and lots and lots of like shot for shot. Hey, do you get it? And, and so, do you get so it? This, this is one's the, the Ice Man, huh? This is the question, though, Chrissy, and I wonder if this is how how real this is that so much of that was given to us. Specifically because many people seeing this movie haven't seen the first one 30 years ago. It is literally for a new generation of film viewers. It might not be for me, right? It might be for 
18 to 24-year-olds who haven't seen the movie, who have yet to be heavily recruited to the Navy. Um, I don't know, but, you know, could it be that this is just their effort to give you a solid, like, here's what worked in the first movie. Let's go ahead and template it for people who haven't seen it. I, I think the I, I think the opposite. So I took my 11-year-old son to see it who has not seen the first Top Gun. But there would he wouldn't have those, like, moments of, like, uh, the hangman who always has the toothpick in his mouth right that's what i mean like Iceman. for us it reads as 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 like overkill or maybe for me it reads as overkill why are you just giving me the same movie well it's because that stuff worked in the first movie when i was a kid and hadn't seen anything prior so let's go ahead and give it to this new generation because they haven't Mm. seen it before right Mm. so yeah so because because when you're 11 year olds watching it he's not going to think of Iceman at all no he's not going to think that oh i've heard this speech of you got him the top gun he's not gonna you know he's not gonna i don't know anything any about val characters. kilmer like none of that exactly. means anything to me yeah yeah you're right when he's an he's an admiral he's like okay that's just yeah. some old dude on the in the screen yeah who's you know, not he's talking like, very much he right. kept asking me he kept being like so is Iceman dead and i was like no so it, and then later so is Iceman dead yeah. Oh. And then he's like, so now he's like, now I like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I also thought it was funny that like everyone's an admiral apparently, except for Tom Cruise. Yeah. There's just admirals left and right inside. We are you you could swing a cat and hit an admiral. Of his peer group, that it would make sense mm-hmm. because the when you talk, the ones you're talking about are basically his peer group. Because mm-hmm. for him, he's a captain. The next rank in the military is admiral. So, so, so that would make sense that most of his peer group would be admirals. Even when he's being denigrated by the one admiral saying you should have been an admiral by now or a senator or something like that, you know, for his peer group, uh, you know, these, these men have been admirals for 10, you know, the ones that are still in the Navy, right, of his peers. They, they would have, almost all of them would have been admirals for a better part of a decade. And so mm-hmm. that's why that's part of the whole speech at the beginning, which is like, and here you are still a captain. Why are you still, you know, why, why is that? And, you know, you know, and so because it, it doesn't make sense that he's not an admiral. Um, and, and so, the, the, but then he's all like, you know, this is where I belong, blah, blah, blah. And so, all right. So then, and another part of, another part to me of how he doesn't, it's interesting to me that he's stuck in the time of the old one is how did you guys feel about him still having the motorcycle, you know, from the first movie? You know, because uh, okay, now that, wait a minute. I, I feel like you're cool leading the back. leading the witness because you're a motorcycle guy. I'm not, and that <laughs> actually did feel pretty good. Like it felt like okay, have an antique motorcycle. Yeah, is that okay? No. And oh. so, <laughs> why would he, also, like why would, I got the feeling he was have it. You know, it's been. I mean, that thing would be thirty something years old. It would be like. I mean, it'd be like a 1980. I only think it was new then, right? So it's just about like having a 1982 motorcycle, and you've had it for the past. 30 some well and you i mean years. you didn't like recognize it as a special motorcycle it's it, not there was nothing yeah, special it, it, about it it could be and then he's a mechanical guy so maybe he kept yeah. it together but i thought it was weird that he still had the same bike you know because and he had he multiple would, motorcycles in a row there like he, he chose yes, he that one to go to the with, test today for yeah, yes, lucky, exactly. lucky day nice, yeah, yeah. yeah which is a nice callback throw throw, throw back to well no he rode it when he went to the to north island because mm-hmm. apparently he can ride. Oh, to, right. Okay. He could ride to Fighter Town from. Well, I mean, he's on the Mojave Desert, so as long as it's not, yeah. you know, a, a true island, the, he can walk. Yeah, yeah, it's across the bay. He can ride to it. So, okay. So, but now, so let's talk about that. The, since we thought about the bike for a quick second, he's now there, and now we go to the bar scene, um, and the bar scene really has two major points in it. Uh, one, which is we meet the love interest. We meet Penny. Mm, uh, we sure do. Uh, 
Yes, we do, guys. And she is the Admiral's daughter that Goose referenced in the first Top Gun. Yep. Uh, she's played by Jennifer Connelly, and, and she owns the bar that he's in. And you have to, which I thought was interesting, like, even to get their first interaction, you can just, they provide enough that you can assume, okay, they knew each other from before, but then it's almost like it's, which which I, which I, I'm torn on how I felt about that. You know, is it like, is it okay? Because it was like, okay, we well, can just assume they knew what they meant, bef- that they knew each other from before and it's fine. Or is it that you're looking at the movie saying, wait, I have to remember a throwaway line from the first movie to understand who this person is, you know, because it was just mentioned, she was just mentioned one time. And so, but we're introduced to her, she's in the bar. Um, and then the second part of the bar scene, which I will, when we talk about in sections, is where we meet all the other pilots. You know, Hangman, Coyote, Payback, Fanboy, Phoenix, Bob, and Rooster. And then there's the rest of the other pilots that don't matter. Um, so I guess really the, the first part, let's do, just, why don't we just jump into the Penny story? And so yeah. I guess I'll start with you, Christy. Did, did, that, did that love interest, that story, work for you in this movie? It worked for me on a couple of different levels. One, I did like the idea that of course Maverick would have these relationships that never really ends. And he just picks up with that person whenever he's in that town. That seems to me like something that that character would do, Um, you know, to have the hometown girl. And then who knows what's happening when he's out all the other places that he's going to. And, and I believed it. Like we didn't need a huge exposition dump. We just needed her to be like, yep, that's what you said last time. Then you went to Bosnia. Then Iceman called in a favor and then you went all these other places. So let's just be cool. And, uh, you know, save our romance for the second act or whatever. Um, the thing that bothered me the most about, their interaction was that she expects people who come to her bar to know the rules that are written on a tiny piece of wood that's hanging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's hanging right there. It's hanging okay. right there behind yes. her, out behind of vision, her. out of the her, yes. eye line from anybody and, and that you, she's talking to. you will spend to. hundreds of dollars yeah. <laughs> if you violate these rules. Yeah. That's a very expensive, and I, and yeah. Hundreds of dollars. Do you think he spent a penny under a grand? I mean, there were a lot no. of people there in there, and booze is expensive. Well, um, there weren't, the bar did quadruple between him, her ringing the bell and him looking around, mm-hmm. him buying around for all those people. And then all of a sudden, apparently he had to buy around for everybody that then came into the that, bar. That came in, right. Yeah. Because right. Right. So. the I whole thing when he got like four more from, because remember when Hangman comes, he goes, you know, four, yeah. four from Thanks, my, Pops. my, four new of my friends from Pops yeah. over there, right? It was like, well, these four just walked in. So, so apparently he's buying everybody a beer in perpetuity. Yeah. yeah. Until, yeah. until until he, he leaves, gets <laughs> thrown out of the bar. <laughs> until he's thrown out, yes, yeah. Well, I also, so I, I go ahead. Chris. No, also like she just rings the bell a second time, and they know that was the throw the guy out ring. Yeah, not that we all get a drink <laughs> ring. Like how Here's, how many special bell sounds are there in this bar? Well, you would know, Chrissy, if you turned around and saw the other board <laughs> that actually has, like, SOS. Like, it, it actually tells you the bell patterns. You have to you have to know it. Okay. I, I did, actually. I really, I thought Jennifer Connelly's, the, the character of Penny was, once again, uh, wildly underwritten, and just by dint of her screen charisma uh mm-hmm. she she made something of it i think yeah. she's delightful i have i have had a crush on her since the very beginning uh i think she's just fantastic opportunity knocks was that yes. the very beginning yes it is yeah. yes it knocks. is yes, yes. i would she's roller skate around a target, all all night night long. target? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 no um 
So she's she's fantastic and delightful and super flirty and mm-hmm. the I and I think that she is going to bring boyfriend jeans back because of this movie. Uh, I boyfriend think that, jeans? they've been yeah, back you know, a while, Pete. Have Sorry they? If what, you didn't I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. I was just talking to my wife and she was like, "Oh, nobody's doing boyfriend jeans. She's rocking the boyfriend jeans. Yeah, yeah. looks great. Yeah, so, okay, it's a good trend. She's yeah. super. She's just great. She is. She is. She's exactly what the movie needs, and I think. Fitting the template of Top Gun the first, she is a better Kelly McGillis uh, than Kelly McGillis was in the first one. I enjoyed watching their relationship better. I enjoy watching a relationship of people who are in their their middle age and having it be flirty and hot, sexy, romantic, uh, all of that. And uh, that she's fifty one and he's fifty nine. Um, it was it was cool uh, to see them. Wow, I, I, I agree. I, I, yeah. I, I feel I feel a second time that I watched a totally different movie. Um, I uh, while I did think that Jennifer Connelly was great in it, I, I found the relationship to be tedious and uh, kind of un, a tedious, unremarkable, unbelievable. And every time oh, they were on man. the screen together, I wanted to turn away. I actually, uh, when motion. I watched it the second time around, whenever they would have scenes with just the two of them, I would be like, "Oh, okay. Well, now it's time for me to you know take a break." And then I and then I came back and I was like, "Yeah, this this has take this a part break. Of, take what do break. you do when you take a, you're in the movie well, theater?" You, you know, sometimes you have to go outside and you know just uh, you, you take a break for a second. So, oh, or you go to the bathroom. Yeah. Oh my goodness! So if I was if I had to go to the bathroom, I'd wait till they were only <laughs> the two of them together. And I was like, oh, it's time to go. Uh, so I, I think that uh, for me there was a. I guess I look at it as uh, I did not view that they had any real chemistry now, it, it, with each other. Uh, I didn't feel any of that. I, I felt that the in the story of their of their relationship to me, I thought was fairly poorly written and basic. Um, now, granted, I don't fault Top Gun for being anywhere where it's poorly written and basic because it's Top Gun. I'm not going to yeah. this for a twist, right? I'm not expecting that at all. I just found that, and I think for me, the biggest thing was, um, you know, which I'm just going to jump through th- through the whole thing with the relationship, even at the end, the two... At the end, I didn't. I never at any point in time felt that I was rooting for their relationship to work. Right? It was just, oh, there has to be a girl because it's Top Gun. She'll do. Right? This is exactly what. That's my hunch: is that you went into the movie with that impression and therefore had no patience for the relationship. That's my take. I think you were jaded going in, and you didn't have the patience to even try to buy their relationship. I, 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 I don't. Yeah, you know, I I guess I don't I, I can see why they, I would create that impression, but I, I really feel that it was, it was more just I just didn't buy it. It it just did not work for me what they were presenting on the screen. It just, it just felt like it was just like, well, the, there has to be a girl, so there there you go, she's there. Oh, see, and, and I, it, it I didn't feel like, feel like any was... type of growth or anything going on with it. It was just kind of like, all right, there had to be something. Can I oh, disagree I feel like the... completely? <laughs> yeah. Go, yes, go. Because I I felt like uh, to me she was and uh, you know and I. It, it, on some levels, it is a bummer that it takes a woman and a relationship with a child to be this for the character. But she was that like grounding force for Maverick that was going to be a home for him eventually, right? Like he he's just like this loner rebel has no he just lives in the sky and by the seat of his pants Mach three with his hair on fire. But like you know, she was this girl who he like got in trouble with when he was young and came back to like at these different points in his life. And now that he is going to end up being like grounded we i got the feeling that he could have a life with her that would that would be uh exciting for him you know um because she understood him in that way like you could tell that she she understood these navy guys she's the admiral's daughter she's got her own kid 
they're both over all the bullshit and they mm-hmm. can just like look great and hang out on beach uh <laughs> sipping one yeah. island yeah. Well, in I, white and pants. I think I, in white pants i think at the <laughs> end too the payoff to that whole story is when she pushes him out of the window and says she has to keep keep up uh, expectations or she has to be a role model for her daughter mm-hmm. and when he stands up and sees the daughter and she just the daughter says don't break her heart like that is a I, I think that is one of the the signs of Mavericks of uh, growth of Pete yeah. Mitchell's growth, mm-hmm. and that he's being confronted by this stuff. And, I, and I think it's yeah consequences. And I think that's you know out of the mouths of babes sort of a, a moment. And I thought that was that was very powerful. I thought that was useful in the story. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I like that scene when the, the, the with the daughter. I thought the daughter was great. Um, I, and and I think that um, I don't know. I guess I feel that I to me the ending reads no differently than the first one. You know, at the end of the first one, he was going to be grounded and together, and she, he, and Charlie were going to go live off happily ever after because you know Charlie gets him. She's in the she's a civilian contractor dealing with the military at all times. Like that understands all the pressures and things of his life and all that. And then now she's you know five minutes later she's gone. And so Charlie I, was I, always going to gonna me, put her career first. Yep. Absolutely. And and in contrast, Penny was done with that part of it. Like mm-hmm. Chrissy says, she was over it. And like she was happy with the bar and her little Porsche and everything. Sorry, Ocean. A little, a little <laughs> like Porsche yelling at you. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That's it's I guess. Yeah. No, we, we like I said, like, like, like I opened. I think we watched part of different movies. <laughs> I can't wait because, to see when we actually I, yeah, started watching guys, the same you guys movie. See a beautiful I, love story of a man and a girl, and I'm like, eh, it's just this is just nothing. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's go to the second part of the bar scene, which maybe we could maybe maybe we'll find some agreement. Um, what well, you know? So uh, Pete, did the other did the new crop of pilots work for you? Did you have a favorite? There's a lot of interesting characters here. So like, uh, what did you think of? I mean, they had to introduce them somehow. I felt that this was a good way to do it. Just you know, throw them in a bar scene, have them shoot and pull. They can kind of talk back and forth to each other, and that at least gives you a little bit of a flavor of who each of them are. And, and then, but then, did you like? I guess yeah. So like, I start with there. Did you have a a favorite of the new pilots? They were serviceable puppets. I, I think that they had to fit the the stereotype of the Top Gun naval aviator that was set in the first movie, and they had all of the right kind of smug, kind of shoulder, yeah, shouldery kind of popping ego that they needed to have. I thought uh, Hangman was just the worst. I really liked uh, Miles Teller. I'm already in the bag for Teller. And so uh, I think him showing up and having clearly done the work to look the part of the naval aviator, I thought was really, uh, really great. So, um, you know, I, I would... I, I do have to give a shout out to Monica Barbero. She is is one of two of the women that showed up and totally held their own in the with the the stick puppets of, of male ego like parade on screen so they were they were fine i like bob i love bob <laughs> i know that he was put there for me to fall in love with and it worked like i i loved him he was exactly cute and not threatened by them and not threatening to them like he was he was just sitting there eating his peanuts and and like watching the show and he wasn't going to get all up in everybody's face and try and show that he was the the toppest gun he was just like I'm Bob yeah which <laughs> that was that was such Peter. a great moment of comedy too like <laughs> no what's your call sign it's 
Bob. Bob. And it was Bob. Yeah. And I loved Bob. him. And I liked him throughout the movie. And he was he was an important character for me because the the toxicity of the masculinity in the first movie and all of that posturing of the pilots and who's the best and I'm the best. And you're right, Iceman. I am dangerous. Okay. Uh, it was just a break in all of that. So we had, you know, at least one female pilot. Okay, good. I'm glad she was there. We had some people of color in the mix. Good. I'm glad they were there. And we had one um, nerd in the mix who was just mm-hmm. as tough and just as good at his job as the rest of them. And it worked for me. Um, and also, how come Rooster didn't have to wear his uniform and everyone else did? <laughs> Well, because he'd been tra- traveling, he'd been vagabonding. Right, 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 right. Yeah, he, 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 yeah, exactly. He Everyone was, else had time to put on their fancy, fancy pants, and he just rolls in in a tank top and a Hawaiian shirt. Well, that's right, because he's the, he's the rooster. He has yeah. the you know he has the uh, you know peacock or whatever for everybody. Can, so he dresses differently. Um, can I just I, say one I, thing about Bob uh, too? That it, Bob is actually like they they play him up as the nerd, but he is he's such a versatile actor and the. The other movie that I love of his, which I actually I don't know if I'm a if I'm an island in this. I think it's it's uh, it did very fairly well. He played um, Miles in Bad Times at the El Royale, uh, and I really loved that movie. Um, yeah, that was the Jeff, that, right? yeah yeah you're 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 probably on an island there with that movie. No, no, no. It's a look yeah. at it. It's a seven one on IMDb. Like it, really? it actually did very, very well. Um, oh, okay. Cynthia Revo and and another John Hamm uh, movie, obviously. So yeah, um, yeah. It's I, 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 I really super cute, movie. and I yeah. I found him adorable. Yes. yes. No. Yes. Uh, okay. No. I I guess I, I agreed with uh, two thirds of what you're saying in terms of that. I um I, I was already in the um, I, I i too am already in the bag for miles teller he's, he's great in just about everything he does um and so uh i liked him and and and, and bob was great and i did like that i did like the diversity of the cast not only in terms of just like you know the obviously of the racial diversity you know the, the mexican-american diversity the women, all there that, is no sundown just, in this movie you'll note yeah, like no, they treated no, just, everybody yes, like yes yeah yeah, yeah. no I, when i saw this movie the second time with my mom she asked me like why wasn't sundown in the movie i was like well mom they'd have to then in a movie in 2022 call a black man sundown they're not yeah, gonna do that they're not gonna do so, that so, so sundown's not making do that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not gonna do that and so but the diversity of who they you know kind of who they were and the, and the person i think the thing i'd like to use the diversity of personality you are you are i, I do agree with you Chrissy, that in the first movie basically they were all uh they were all maverick or iceman or wannabe mavericks and iceman mm-hmm. right you know i mean goose was a little bit different he was the only one uh, but basically they they were all trying to be the same guy and but i did however love hangman i looked at hangman and i thought all what they decided to do is like what if we just took maverick and iceman and melded that into one person and that's hangman one you terrible know, toxic one, piece no, of one garbage awesome, awesome person who does great awesome things which we'll talk about <laughs> later but uh so that you I, know what I really, you know what it was look there is a there is what's his name who does the um um uh, colin jost does the <laughs> SNL, right? And he yes. just wrote a book, a memoir, and it is punchable called face. A Very Punchable, a very face. punchable yeah. face. And the book yeah. is, it, most of it is really great. A lot of New York inside baseball stuff that I, I like a lot, and I, I think it appeals to, you know, the Colin Jost fan. But since I read that book, I have been really clocking the punchable faces in pop culture. And 
this is one of them. Hangman is a very punchable face. And I just like, I, I felt like he's going to need to carry a lot of water to redeem him at, by the end of this movie. And I don't think he ever, he ever really did. Oh, well, so I, much I guess disagreement. I, yeah, I, I just I just <laughs> felt that he didn't necessarily have to. I think that that there's a there's an aspect of it as far as even with the diversity of the cast that it makes a lot of sense to have and it makes it a more entertaining movie. But at the end of the day, you know, there are different people, different personality types, and you, there has to be, you got to be really self-confident and overly cocky to be able to be like, yes, I'm going to get in this plane and do these, you know, do of these things, Of course you right? do. Of course and you so do, but Iceman got, people like that. Yeah. Iceman got a, a redemption story at the end. I think he was just a more believable, like, uh, at the graduation, a more believable um, reconciliation with Maverick at the end of, oh, okay. of that movie. Oh, so you and, mean the redemption so, story, the reconciliation yeah. at the end? That, yeah, so, I know so, you have to be an egomaniacal jerk in many ways to just get over yourself well, enough to go get in these yeah, but, vehicles. That's fine. I think at that point you're maybe making more a statement about the actors, right? Because, I mean, the, the, the reconciliation at the end for Iceman was... The actor Val and Kilmer, the part. Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise are better actors when they shake hands at the end of a movie. You yes. feel it, right? Yes, you you know, whereas, uh, you know, Miles Teller and... Uh, oh, goodness, I'm going to find Hangman's I wanted name. a hug. Glenn, I mean, what's his name? Glenn Powell, yeah. Glenn Powell. Also and Glenn Powell, when they shake hands, it doesn't create the same amount of emotion. Well, you know, maybe, but, then, but I, I mean, also think it's an jump. underwritten part. I think it's okay it, well, to have underwritten parts and yeah. that be de demonstrated by the yeah. fact that sometimes these characters can't actually get every bite out of the role. Okay. I, okay, and then and I, I get what saying about the the thing at the end. I think that I just liked Hangman in general. Like I, I liked him the whole way. Yeah. And, and so um, even though he was being set up to be the bad guy, I kind of looked yeah. at him like, no, he's kind of like. Th there's a lot of stuff he says that makes sense. And so, uh, but I did like him. But then you, you know, I, I do recognize that you know, as far as the, my criticism about the actors, that it was a callback to the exact same scene at the end of Top Gun. And then now I'm going to just jump ahead real quick. The scene when Val Kilmer. With, with uh, you know Val Kimmer typing, right? The the acting that he and Tom Cruise do together really kind of show you. To me, that's great acting. They're 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 emoting a lot and providing a lot of emotional heft in a scene where they're not really talking to each other. But but look, so that was my little teaser for for later. So we'll talk about that later. So okay. let me let's let's get back to where we are. Um, so. They, you know, they do the callback to the first movie where Maverick comes in front of the class. I'm just jumping next day. He comes in front of the class. What, they didn't what? know he was a teacher. What? You're He's not going to talk about Grey Balls of Fire? Oh, no, you are right. He, that was the best Anthony Edwards impersonation Ever. Why I, I would honestly, he do that, though? It made no sense to me. I, well, it was a callback to when he was, I guess, five. And then, because I imagine that he was five, right? In the, in the scene, the flashback scene. Yeah. yeah. You think about five. So it's a callback to that. And so then he really liked it. Or maybe his mom taught it to him because his mom loved it. And that's just what he just did all the time. Now, I, you know, I, I don't know why he would do it. I Honestly, for me, the, for me, the moment of this was... I felt that they, I did not like the choice of doing all the flashbacking over the Great Balls of Fire because you could see, I mean, I don't know if he was really playing, but I was believing he was really playing. I know they were really singing. And yeah. kind of what they were doing in the bar, I felt that like, you know what, obviously you shot this. Why don't you show more of that? Because this other, these flashback scenes you're showing, oh, I, I've seen all of that, mm -hmm. right? You know, or or if you can do the flashback, you almost like pause them doing it and then come back to seeing them doing it. But I think that they, they left a really great scene kind of on the table there as opposed to showcasing what they were doing, you know, the, the kind of the bonding and the camaraderie of them singing the song. But but what do, I guess, since I stepped on the difference, what did you think of that part with the Great Balls of Fire? I loved it. 
I actually really loved it. And let me just tell you, every serviceable, serviceable piano player, like, let's just say every, like, you know, bar-based piano player has a song that they love and can play really, really well. And I thought the flashback actually set that up for this being Roosters, and that was totally in line with what I think he would do. Like, I absolutely believe he would, he just has that in the back of his head. It's a thing that his parents did for him. It's a thing that he knew from his dad. He, mom probably played it all the time uh, before she died. I absolutely believe that. And I also, I my understanding is Teller, he does play very well. He obviously is musically inclined. I know he started playing the piano at a very young age as a performer. And so I have no reason to doubt that he actually sat down and, and played this. Um, and so mostly that that could just be me and my I'm I'm shipping Miles Teller in a piano right yeah. now. Um, but but I really I really enjoyed that moment. And I think it was a great emotional moment for him. I don't know. I'm not, I don't feel like I've sufficiently swayed Chrissy. I just thought I was like, I was really confused about whether or not Rooster knew that Maverick was in the bar. Like, did he not look over any, any time and be like, oh, shit, there's Uncle Pete. Okay. I guess I'll go play the song. No, no. okay. One no, point. Did, I think that made, was made blocked. To make sure that, that yeah. he didn't know. That scene was blocked so just algorithmically so to keep their eye lines from meeting one another so well, that he could not actually Pete, see where maverick is like what don't look at me rooster yeah. like <laughs> yes. right, mm-hmm. right you can if i can see you you can't see me <laughs> yes yes no they they definitely blocked the, the scene sequences and the turning of heads and how, yeah. when they looked when they look at different places and everything that that no he didn't know the rooster did not know that maverick was in the bar yeah, okay. that's my that's my yeah. understanding. And then the for, the first time he saw him was when he he does the Charlie scene from Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes in front of the class and says, "I am your instructor. Here is the book. The book is garbage. Let's yeah. go out and dogfight." I thought that was so silly. Like I thought that was so silly. I, I was like, I could just imagine being like, "Okay, I'm a teacher. Um, yeah. All right, give me the book, and then like a trash can, and I'm gonna like throw the book in the trash can, and it'll be like." Stand and deliver or something. And yeah. Right, right. It's like a metaphor, but like, oh, I could just see Maverick being like, that's what teachers do. I'll throw <laughs> the rule book in the trash. Ugh. I, I felt secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> well, this is this actually is, I think that is an interesting point because I also thought it was silly, even though I liked it, because I knew that what was coming next is why I showed up for this that's movie. That's exactly yes. right. <laughs> yes. Yes, let's get up and dogfight. Good morning, Justin, aviators. Else. Yes. So I guess then, well, what did you think of that? The the so talk about talk about it, Pete. What did you think about that? The first of the because they had three or four really good uh, yeah. plane scenes. Yeah. This is the first one with the dogfighting, and the, and and they're running joke with the pushups. So oh yeah, you, you I'll take it. I'll take every single bit of it. I loved it so so much. I really did. I thought it was as exhilarating and exuberant and exhausting as I as I went in expecting it to be, and it just had me tied in knots. the The way it was shot, it was I was just breathless through the entire thing. Every time one of their heads would get smashed up against the canopy as they're looking around, and they're when they start pulling G's, and you see their eyelids. Flatten out into their face. Like I was, I was in 
every moment that we were in the cockpit with them, I thought it was extraordinary, extraordinary filmmaking. So did at any point in time, did either of you give a pause or a thought to these people all graduated Top Gun, which is purportedly a dogfighting school, and none of them seem to be that good at dogfighting? Oh, I thought I got the impression that they were all very, very good at it, but he was just like, I threw the rule book in the trash, friends. I'm going to pop up in between you and do things that you would would never think of doing because they're not in your books. Like, that's, that's what I thought they were trying to tell us is that the way that Maverick flies, and I, I think that's what they were trying to tell us in the beginning is like, so not by the book that, you know, you can get an A in dogfighting class, but it's like boxing versus the one. Mixed martial yeah. arts. Thank you. Yeah. Versus like, mixed martial arts. You show up doing this and being you're like, doing not thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Thank or you. You're thinking not he, doing. And he yeah. was just like willing to bend the rules of what you're supposed to do. Like fly up in between them, hover up above them, which is like the antics he got in trouble for in the first one. Right. It was to yeah. be like, I'm on top He's, of you. <laughs> yes. He's teaching yeah. them to do the stuff that he was not allowed to do. And now somehow that's okay. And that was fine by me. It was all absolutely yeah. fine. It okay. was now we're into jet porn and I am there for yes. it. That no, no, sequence I'm, I'm where they corkscrewed uh, uh, down, uh, I thought was just. So I yeah, have two about that part was that the first, specifically. That was the, that was the first one? That was in the, the first, first round. Yeah, yeah. The first yes. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of interestingly for me blown away just at the beginning of that when he goes through the two planes. Because it kind of snapped in my head there. It, while it just looks, as a scene, it look, kind of looks normal. But that's when it really hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. They actually did that. Yeah. Right? Like they, They're actually the flying these planes like this. Which, that's why I was like, okay, well, now this is insane. And, and, I'm, and I'm in. But I don't know. Um, so, anyway, that's what I wanted to say about the scene itself. But then, the, I guess I interrupted you, too. about the. So, you had something about the spinning. That you, did you not like the spinning scene of where they're, you know, deciding who's better or worse? So the whole bit of the planes, like when I brought my uh, my son, my son's name is Rocket, and uh, outstanding. He, <laughs> so he was wa- he was like, we're watching the movie, and he's like, yeah, mom, I guess I'll see Top Gun with you, like eating his popcorn or whatever. <laughs> and then when that happened, and that he flew up in between them, he was yeah. just like, and he sat, yeah. he just like his eyes opened huge, and he sat way forward, and he was just like. Mom, this is awesome. And yeah. then as as whenever interesting play and stuff happened, he'd just go like, wow. <laughs> like, uh, so he loved it. But that moment with Rooster and Maverick where they're flying in the corkscrew of the planes, I was just like, okay, well, here it is. Like, here's the moment where they're the, the masculinity, which was like, I thought doing pretty okay for much of this movie was like, nope, now we're going to let it get toxic. Mm-hmm. And we're going to let the fact that we can't like talk out this like interpersonal thing almost kill us in these fancy yeah. planes okay i don't you know I, I feel that they were talking it out but go ahead they were <sighs> driving at the ground <laughs> yeah. <in the> yeah but <laughs> they were discussing it as they were going down but go ahead. <laughs> no i i just want to i'll mediate between you two because i think uh i, I think actually they needed this sequence of toxicity mm-hmm. in order to meet out the the more emotional stuff that comes later the that is subtle nay might be hidden 
But there is a reconciliation between Teller and and Maverick that comes later, and it has to get over the hump of the the like buffalo locking horns mm-hmm. first. So I didn't. I mean, I didn't care for that stuff, mostly because I was just dizzy with excitement of watching these planes do those things. And it's not lost on me that isn't it the central problem of the good morning aviators, him flying up between those two planes as close as he did? Isn't that the jet wash problem as those planes go whoosh and flip all over the place that actually killed Goose the first time? Like, he, it, they actually the did this wash, stuff. Yeah. That that we're, I don't know if the planes are just better now and don't suffer those same sorts of, of issues, but I would imagine it had to be that because yeah. you're right. The the physics would remain the same. I, I, of course, I'm assuming and not ha- having with my zero hours of flight experience. Yeah, that all jet that wash thing was Me actually too. real. And yeah, they, and they didn't just make that up for the no. movie because they were like, well, we got to kill him somehow. Right? right. No, so, I don't but, think they yeah. made that up. We yeah, gotta yeah. kill so him somehow. We need the emotional punch. He has to die. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So then I think that, you know, I don't know if this changed, or is it maybe the just watch was because they were going into it that way versus the other? I don't know. But I don't know, I, but it was extraordinary. It, I would imagine the planes are a bit better. Yeah. Uh, that have to be, well, they have to be better. So, yeah. but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was right. fantastic. Okay. So let's talk about the mission. Okay, so yeah. the mission, as it was described, was there is an unnamed country, which I believe Top Gun is really good at this with both cases. They never really name an enemy of any kind. You just kind of insert whatever it is you picture it being there, right? You know, because like in the 80s, it was, you know, the Cold War was obviously going on. Mm-hmm. So obviously you just threw in whatever, usually Russian, because that was U.S. Russia. But, you know, it could have been any of the, you know, any of those countries. And in this case here, you're just like, okay, a country is going to have enriched uranium. And you as the moviegoer get to just insert whatever country you want, you know, and then that, that and I, and I, and I actually, I think that kind of works in that it makes the movie where it's like, you know, later on down the road, it doesn't, it doesn't get into anything geopolitical, right? Because, you know, things change, you know, who, who's, you know, who are allies and enemies are change over time. So they just insert country here. They're going to have some uranium. Our allies, who we never mentioned, don't like that. And so we're going to then, we need to then blow it up. We need to blow it up before it becomes uh, the uranium. I think it's blow it up before it becomes enriched. Now, the mission. I, I think the word you're looking for is fully operational. <laughs> That's yes. in fact the okay. words they use. They use the word fully operational. Okay. They do. So so then and I see you're you know what? You're ahead of my question. <laughs> and so so then but let me <laughs> And, and, and I'm now, so glad we're going this way. I'm I know, so glad. I know you. I know you. You. I know your answer to my question <laughs> as well. But you're out of my question. Okay. So in this mission, they had to fly at a low level through a twisting cavern because there Can- are canyon, canyon. canyon. Just, Sorry, you might canyons. you might call it a canyon run. <laughs> you might. might call it that. Yes, you might call it a canyon run because there are gun turrets over the top of it that are meant to protect the sky, but not the canyon. So they have to go underneath that or else they'd be shot up by that. And then they have to do an inverted flip dive down into a, uh, into a, into a really a deep valley where the like a volcano is. exactly like, like an inverted volcano. Um, and that they then have to shoot a, a three meter target um, <laughs> twice, <laughs> twice, twice 
twice. Wants to open up the, the larger hole, too, to get the, the other bomb in. And then they have to pull out and go straight up, which is going to pull uh, roughly 10 Gs. Nine or, they usually say 9 or 10 Gs, and it seems to be differently based on which it probably does it, but that's about what they're going to pull to get straight up out of the cavern, at which point they're now going to be visible by uh, the missiles. They're going to have to uh, uh, dodge. And that there are other planes, uh, hangars, and there are these things called fifth-generation fighters, which allows you to insert bad guy here. Mm-hmm. Insert overpowered bad guy fighter jets here uh, that, that then they will come get you and <clears throat> excuse me they will come after you and then it's a dog fight to get home because you have to fight these other fighters and that's the mission and so clearly i know chrissy's answer so pete uh <laughs> when you heard this mission at any point did you think to yourself so they're attacking the death star I did. I thought that exactly. And I thought, I hope the canyon isn't lined with womp rats. Uh, (laughs) It's, it, it, I did think of that. I, and I, it it is one of those things I sort of imagined as I watched out, I I walked out. I wonder if the writers ever stopped and thought, did we just write Star Wars? Because uh, it, it is totally something I could see them never noticing. Uh, yeah. Right, that they just rewrote Star Wars. It's the it, ventilation it, it, shaft. It is the ventilation things. shaft. Yeah. It's yeah, a yeah, ventilation yeah. shaft yes. that goes, that is the only way to shoot a bullet right into the heart of yeah. the thing the, the, and blow the, it up from the middle. Right. Yes. Uh, but exactly. but you can totally imagine, like, as, as people who are lovers of pop culture who would stop and write a movie like this, how they might not even notice that they had just done it with with jet planes i didn't it didn't feel like an i don't insult i don't think me. they you know here's where i was giving giving them the benefit of the doubt i think they thought we're making a movie with planes we're going to do this practically what is the type of mission let's design this mission to make these airplanes to do really cool things yeah right and that's what and because you think about all the different things they have to do where the actors have to take these g-forces and the whole the inverted dive and then come back up and the fact that they're going to do it practical with planes with the actors in the planes What's a cool way to show everything off in a mission like yeah. that? I think they started there and then they just backed into, and I'm going to give them the benefit of like what Pete did. Unbeknownstly, they, they attacked the Death Star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, can, I, can I do a, a very quick backup? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, it, this is on fifth generation. Because that's that the way we sort of presented it was as a narrative tool, and it is not a narrative tool. Uh, it is a classification of jet fighter aircraft, which includes major technologies de- developed during the first part of the 21st century. These are the most advanced fighters in operation. They include the PLAAF Chengdu J-20, the F-22 Raptor, and the uh, Russian Air Force Sukhoi Su-57. Uh, and one of those... I believe it's the it, the Raptor, but I'm not sure. But those were definitely legit planes. They weren't like made up planes. They are they are these fifth generation planes. They include stealth, low probability of intercept radar, agile airframes, and super cruise performance in their advanced avionics. So, as someone again super who has spent countless zero <laughs> hours in the cockpit of a, a plane, nor do I study air, airplanes at all, um, it it felt uh, kind of hand wavy, but it it like legit like isn't yeah. hand wavy. It's a classification yeah. of, of okay. fighter jet. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that the characterization, I, I, the the fifth. Uh, thank you for uh, bringing that in. I didn't think that the fifth generation, like calling that, that was a real thing. Those planes, yeah. they did design them and make them, and uh, they. It's. Uh, I think they're with, the Raptor. I think with McDonnell Douglas is where they yeah. come together to, to design. So they made these planes, but they're not. 
like the, of the planes you listed off, it's not exactly one of those, but it is they're very, very close. They, they're very similar. Yeah. They made because they wanted it. They wanted it to be a plane that would not be associated to any country. Yeah, you know. So they said just modify it a bit. So that, yep. that way you yep. can just insert whatever you want there. But, it okay. would have been really cool if they had been like like more circular, and then like if each one had like like two just wings on the side, but it was circular in the middle. You know, so it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, they like they really get tied up in that canyon <laughs> fight. It is the uh, it's Lockheed. Lockheed built the um, the flashy yes, hypersonic yeah. jet, yes. fifth gen jet. Yep, Lockheed. Okay, right. so now that they've described, now that we've now that we understand the mission, so they then break the training down into two different phases. And phase one is to fly through the canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I found interesting here as a device is this is where. The A, A, it's a great, you know, it it, it gives you enough of the, air, the those airplane scenes, right? Because that's what, that's, I mean, let's face it, that's why we're here, right? And, and all of them going back and forth and through through the simulation. And then, the, you know, you're, you're uh, I guess, really kind of, they broke the training sequences into halves. So it's your first half of where they're not successfully training it. And then also uh, Ma- uh, Maverick is explaining to them, you know, I, I, you know, why did you die? You know, what's the reason? Yeah. You know, tell me a reason is good enough to tell his family, you know, which is really kind of then, you know, raising the stakes of what it means, you know, for them to die in this situation. And I thought, I've... I felt that part worked for me. I don't know that I don't know what it was supposed to, but yeah, that part I was kind of fine with. But then what I did notice though, that when they went through the whole thing, it was like, well, at no other than Rooster showing up a minute late, no one ever successfully did it. Mm-hmm. And and I and I and I felt that that was you know, and I know they compressed the timetable of the movie and all that, but that that part just felt push to me like like they never got it to a point of where he was in a sense teaching these kids to successfully do this well that's that's because they didn't have the belief that they could do it and this this actually worked for me a hundred percent he he has that incredibly emotional sequence where he's teaching and saying tell him what what you're going to tell their family why mm-hmm. they're dead which i thought mm-hmm. was was very powerful and actually echoes I'd, I'd written up my my review for letterbox that i haven't posted yet but it it really echoes what I think is Tom Cruise's the weight that he actually carries on his shoulders about making movies anymore. It's like, what am I going to tell all the people whose jobs are lost if we don't keep Mm -hmm. this production going? And he had the exact same discussion when he broke his leg in the last Mission Impossible uh, that he had to finish the scene with a broken leg because he knew what would happen. What would he tell all these people, these families that are going to lose their wages for months when the production is shut down? Like That, I feel like, was an echo of the weight that Tom Cruise lives with because of the the size of his uh his iconic you know persona right now. So, I really liked that scene. I liked what what it represented. But we had to get through a whole lot of failure in order to get to the beat where he steals the F18 and he climbs in it and somehow has enough help to actually get it off the ground and run the canyon himself because that demonstrates that it can be done. And once these other Top Gun pilots see that it can be done, they will be able to do it. Such is the power of belief. And I think at that same moment, they all went clear at the same time and became uh, Scientology. They all went clear. I was going to say, are you referencing Scientology? <laughs> <laughs> um, but wasn't there a moment, and maybe I'm getting them backwards, but there's a moment where he is talking with John Hamm and he's like, we need to get them in there and get the job done so they can do it slower. And he's like, no, we also need to get them home. 
Yeah. Right. Yes, we need that to get was them home much earlier. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and because yeah, yeah. he's because he and of course he's only he's thinking of Rooster. He gets right. to get Rooster home. He has a personal. Well, yeah, investment and, in getting mm-hmm. them home, and like John Ham doesn't have that same. Which was interesting. They gave John Ham after that point. John Ham became becomes much more of a bull on coming home. Like he uses those specific words: "Bring him home, get him home, get him home," and he always goes way too far. Like he he when they're they succeed, he's like, "Get him home." I don't care if Maverick went down. Get him home. Get him home. Like he's Maverick like he's said, finally get him home. got it. Yeah, Maverick said, "Get him home." We're gonna get him home. So uh, anyway, I I I like John Ham as a rube. Uh, <laughs> he's a real. Grump. I thought it was fun. He's yeah, a he's a real grump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like I, I like John Hill. I liked him a lot in this movie. So. I did Sorry, too. No, and I and I it, that was I liked all of that too. Of and you definitely get that sense that like Tom Cruise, like he greeted me personally before the movie. Mm-hmm. He believes in he believes in the power of making movies. Yes, and yes. I I believe in he believes I believe in him believing in the power of him making movies. Oh, so hard. Um, the oh, but what for me what I was like. And of course, they weren't going to do this, but what could have happened would be like that he doesn't fly the mission, that he does have to be the person in the booth hoping that he did teach it. Because they kept saying, you have to teach them. You have to let go. You have to let someone else do the mission. Like you have to teach them so that you can trust them. That's what being a parent is, right? Is that you have to. And Penny says that about her own daughter. You have to teach them what you can and then trust them to do what needs to be done and let them do it. So in that, so I just had wished there was a moment where Maverick had to be in the back seat at any point. And, and even in the, the biggest moment of teaching in the movie, when old typey fingers, Iceman stops and says, you have to let go, right? They cut back to that screen several times in that scene. Mm-hmm. That is the point of this movie is grownups have to let go. And Maverick, they didn't, that was like snatching defeat from mm-hmm. the jaws of victory for the sake of cinema. And I understand those are really competing, the the big budget, like people show up to see Maverick win stuff. And he needed to win this. He needed to be put in a position of being able to protect Miles Teller for the very last time and, and all of that in order to let go. I get all of those things. I think it would have been better for the character if he'd actually been able to learn the lesson of letting go. He never did. He never did. And like, you know, we're talking about like the the outside picture of it too, of like Tom Cruise being this like, is he the only one who can do these yeah. blockbuster blah, blah, blahs? It's like, well, if you never let anyone else try, try. maybe <laughs> pass the torch a little bit. Or like, you can both hold the torch for a little bit. Yeah. And, and well, then, well and, no, because the the ending story could have been you could have written a version of this where uh, Hangman and Rooster do it, yeah, with, with the other or, four. Where you could Rooster have written a version flies with and he is in the back seat. No, yeah, but that's a different no, no, job. No, that's okay. a whole different the, job. Yeah, but Rooster different, was yeah, a yeah, pilot. Yeah, pilot. Yeah, yeah yes. that's what I mean. But Rooster, when he got in the back seat, he's like, I don't know how to do this, and and right. Maverick says, Yeah, I don't either. That was your dad's job. Right. Mm-hmm. right, like that. There, it's a totally different function. Yeah, I don't think they're yeah, trained yeah, for yeah. it. But 
But right. I think and I think so, you're right, Ocean. If it had been, no, if like, it had as been as Rooster and Hangman, yeah. right? Like that Hangman would, would take Maverick's place at the end and do that. There's a version of that you can do that. I think that's, um, uh, and and again, uh, what I think the theme of this entire podcast is, and we were watching different movies, um, and so uh, I found that, and this is what I was leading to with the whole thing about what I thought was interesting how they never succeeded in the training. So so we jumped ahead. Uh, in that not only did they not succeed in the canyon, they never succeeded in hitting the 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 uh, the uh, hole of the Death Star. Yeah. So they, they not never until succeeded Maverick did it once in anything. And so to me, the, the problem I had was that they show Maverick doing it, and then now all of a sudden they can all do it perfectly flawlessly, and everybody comes back alive because of and the power of me, belief. No, see that's that to, to, to <laughs> me that's that's that is no, that's not that that no, that's this is just no. I, this is my problem with it is that. In the first, so I'm, I'm going to compare it to the first one. In the first Top Gun movie, when you look at everything they were training for, over time they a got better at the training because you know by the end of the by the beginning, Jester was killing them all all day, and by the end, every now and again they would get them right. They got a little bit better. The ending stakes was a ramping up of that, so yeah. you felt, hey, these people were trained to do this. We've ramped it up, at, but they, they 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 have the 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 foundation to handle this new challenge. In this movie, it was like, well, we've created a challenge, laid it out for them. They have failed at it 100% of the time. And now I'm supposed to believe that now that it's real, they can do it flawlessly? No. That's just, to me, that's just, that's lazy. That, that's lazy yeah. in a way of it's like you're, you're either cramming too much for time or you're trying to, you know, you're not focused on the right things. You, you need to have it where I did not find it believable that nobody died. Well, right? and because I was like, yes. you all failed at this 100%. Yeah. And then on top of that, to make it the end where they just blow it up, he shoots blind. Yeah. Right, and I'm like, you couldn't get it when they were like, you know, when it was the no, no pressure, no nothing going on. You couldn't get it now. This one blind time, perfect. You know, I mean, like, I, I'm I mean, not so going to say, Ocean. I really am not going to say I disagree with you on any yeah. of this. What all yeah. I'm saying is that the movie employed this power of faith in yourself trope in order to get us over the hump of having to show everybody be good at something. And they're mm-hmm. already great pilots. We know that because they're here. Right. Is the power of belief enough to get them over the hump? I totally agree with you. And the the in the first movie, they all had to pass proficiently to graduate. That's what they were getting to. They had to graduate from this school. So they had to show them actually good at something. Right. And that's when they introduced the mission. But in mm-hmm. this movie, they had the pressure of the mission as the ticking bomb. From the beginning, from our introduction of all these characters, like they were in a race. And I think that's the that's the different thing. They needed something else to demonstrate that they that the stakes were very high going into this. And the tool that they used was they couldn't do it by themselves. They had to have we had to go in uncertain if they were going to be able to complete the mission. Mm-hmm. We had to believe that they weren't good good at what they had to do in, in order to be happy and thrilled when they accidentally do it. Yeah. I I also thought like I I thought they were setting us up to have Phoenix and Bob die. I thought I thought we were going to lose yeah. Phoenix and Bob. I thought they were going to get fringed mm. hardcore. Like I was yeah. like, "No, you made me love them too much." Yeah. No. No, I, I, I've seen I've seen enough of these movies. Believe me, Payback and Fanboy were dying first. But yeah, oh. right. I <laughs> yeah. I was actually 100%. surprised to, to that nobody Die. Nobody like, died. And and uh, you know, the end of the movie, they get a couple people shot down, right? That we we have mm-hmm. some sh- some shoot down. And it just ended up starting to feel rushed, right? Because at the end of the movie, Cruz rescues 
Teller in the plane and he gets shot down. Teller ignores rules and goes back and shoots the helicopter down and he gets uh, he gets blown up and shot down. They end up in the woods together. And that leads us to the big final race where they run across <laughs> the Ukraine, I guess. I don't know where they're running. They're running across someplace in the snow. Those, cold. those parts. And yes. they end up uh, stealing a, a movie prop from Top Gun 1. Mm-hmm. Yes. To get out. Which was, which, and then which, killing which, all the fancy planes. Yeah. Killing and the fancy planes of the 30 year old movie prop. There was yeah. one point where I, they dropped the one f bomb in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, they, they had to keep that PG thirteen rating. Yeah. So you only get one. <laughs> and the rocket was like. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think? What did you guys was, think of that? It was, it was appropriate when he, when he said it because what that plane did was insane. Yeah. It was you know, the way the yeah. way that it avoided it. It was that the same was crazy. So, yeah. Um, and I I think that the the F fourteen thing was a throwback to the uh, well, the whole movie is a throwback to the other movie. The whole um, obviously movie. you have a throwback there, and then you have you know to put them in the plane together, and, and you know the thing of all that sequence is I that part from when they got shot down on from then I'm buying it because a I think it is. I'm not buying the redemption of these two characters then, you know, getting, you know, and in a sense, bonding through this moment where they, you know, effectively save each other's lives, you know, showing that, you know, yes, we can handle all this, but, you know, like, you know, kind of Rooster saying, like, yes, I can handle this type of pressure. Um, and so I, I I was really fine with all of that. Um, I was fine with the way that they killed the first two fifth generation planes. That seemed to work for me. So this, that whole sequence, I really didn't have a problem with. I mean, honestly, had that been the mission at the end, I was like, well, all that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. Rayman coming at the end, like, all of that to me makes sense in the line with it. And so I, I personally found that I really enjoyed that sequence and I thought that it did make me buy the reconciliation between Rooster and Maverick. I Yeah, I agree with you. I just felt from a pacing perspective, it was uh, it was just it, it was rushed. It was a lot to jam into the last. Yeah. Bit it was very movie. Mission Impossible, though. Like it yeah. had the feel of Mission Impossible in the yeah. way that he packs those movies so full of. Yes, this goes yeah. wrong, and this goes wrong, and this happens, and this happens, and this, and then then this. It felt but like Miles that part Teller, felt like a Mission Impossible. Miles Teller didn't have uh, any problem at all getting these antique like hoses unplugged from this jet like everything unscrewed properly there wasn't anything jammed with like dirt and rust like just it was just easy i know well, i'm i'm nitpicking I, I, I think you're nitpicking in a different way the planes are old but they are still being maintained yeah i guess that's true yeah right so i think that they would just all pop off and go off because because it was like they were still using and it was fueled and it was armed it was like it had yeah they, they're still weapons using and yeah so, so right. yeah so i think it would just be he'd have to know I yeah mean, it's not I, like he was taken out of a museum what were they, exactly. who were they using it for though like if they had these fifth gen fighters what are they well, they probably using didn't have very many for? of the fifth gen they, they probably yeah. have yeah you like someone's got to go get the groceries. They don't have Instacart. Well, yeah. I don't think, well, I mean, granted our military, is, you know, the U.S. military is so much more money that we, yeah. we kind of cycle through some of these things. more. But there's still, though you, you'll have years and years and years of these old planes still sitting around. So if you had just less of them, you know, you'd have, you'd have a set of new ones. And then some of these old ones would still be mm-hmm. there, okay. you know, and, and, and let's face it, that F-14 you know, for a lot of countries that if you don't have if you if you don't have a historic air force, I mean this is still a really great plane. You know, it's just not for you know clearly air force yeah. standards, but yeah, no, exactly. You know, with, with the right pilot. Well and yeah, so the F fourteen was retired by the US Navy on September twenty second, two thousand six. Yeah. 
I mean, that's actually in the scope of the maintenance of mach- heavy machinery. That's not that long ago. Yeah. So yeah. So no, I, I I buy that they if they were maintaining them, I buy that all that stuff would work. Oh, but then, it is still in service with the uh, with the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh oh. Yeah. Now we know where Tomcat takes place. Well, well, no, it doesn't take place there because it was someplace where there was snow in, I presume, the summer. I, yeah. I always felt this movie was set in the summer, so that means we were somewhere where there's snow in, like, June. Um, right. Okay, so uh, since we uh, – speaking of the fast pace of the movie and the fast pace of the conversation, one thing I want to make sure we stop and talk about, Val Kilmer. Yeah. Um, I really loved – how they incorporated him, you know, in the movie. Uh, you know, the character itself and everything was, you, you need a guardian angel admiral watching over you. That works. That's fine. Um, but I really loved how it was like, so since he is, since he, the actor, is truly battling with, uh, with throat cancer, it is throat cancer. Is that correct there? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they said, okay, we want to have him come back and reprise his role. It, it hurts to talk, so we don't want to give him a whole bunch of lines. And then to do this mechanism, right, where they say, you know, kind of like, like he... Uh, Pete talks to the wife for a minute. Oh, it came back. So that helps you explain, okay, that's why he's typing, uh, you know, and that they, you know, they were able to, that scene where, you know, he's typing at first and that, you know, and effectively that Tom Cruise is now acting against a, a man emoting with his, just his face alone. And it worked, you know, and, th- and that, and then when he, you know, gets up at the end and starts talking and then they're like, you know, we were having a beautiful moment where I ruined it and everything it ended in a great comedic beat. I, I really thought that all in all, everything they did to bring him back so he could reprise this role was very well done. And, and I, and I also, I also found that I was like, also looking at like, well, these two actors are so much better actors than everybody else in this movie. You know, because at no point in time with any two characters when they were discussing anything that I ever feel that. I yeah, I thought it was pretty powerful, and I I I was not spoiled. Uh, at, at that, I I didn't know that Kilmer was actually in the movie. I thought the extent of it was going to be the the nod with the photograph on the um um on the wall, and so it was a real joy to see him in this movie, especially after just watching the the documentary Val last year, which was an extraordinary uh, survey of his career told in the voice of his son because he can't speak like it, it's not just that it hurts to speak in fact all of his lines in this movie were uh, ai generated like they they used his own voice and they created a new voice for val kilmer of his voice but his lips were moving it was just it was the ai doing the voice like like young luke and darth vader in obi-wan and like right. they they created the voice um but it was it was a very powerful uh, bit of of a reunion for these two characters that were so important from the first movie. I thought it was extraordinary. I cried. I cried a bunch. <laughs> I cried the whole time. <laughs> I cried so much. I cried. Yes. I cried yes. a lot. <laughs> so, I thought it was really good. Were you? Did it? Did you? So then, also then, would you, as far as the crying goes, was it from that scene, or did you also did you feel any emotional impact when Iceman died? Yes, I did. Okay, okay. I, I, I got, I got all the emotional impact. I I was crying the whole time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I, I I found it that it was interesting to me that um, 
I don't know. I think that I was I was more optimistic or hopeful. I don't even know if the hopeful is the right term, but this is going to sound morbid, but it is what it is. I found that like while I saw from the trailer there'd be a funeral scene, I was like a Top Gun, we're halfway through the movie, nobody's died yet, you're showing me the same movie, I expected one of the students to die. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, and that yeah. that would be that would be what it was. A Him consequence, dying, yeah. Yeah, that would be the con- like something happened, and there's a consequence of some kind, and then that helps kind of grow them to get you know either together or as a bonding or just whatever. But like one of them to have Iceman die is is like to me the emotional impact then is only felt by arguably half the audience. If you've seen the first movie, this means something. If you haven't, it, it means all, less than nothing. Right, because he's like Rocket just a said, picture. Is, is, is Iceman dead? Is he exactly. dead? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's he dead just now? a picture on the wall. Right, so so he has no. So if you haven't seen the first one, then that moment that and even all the attention they paid to it. I mean, honestly, I would I almost ask you, I want to ask your son, hey, so when they were at the funeral, were you then confused of why are we spending so much time on this on this picture on the wall? You know, like why, why you know why is he getting all this much screen time? Um, and so yeah, so I, I that part that was. It was odd to me that you know that you were throwing you know calling back, but then not making the consequence more direct to the mission at hand. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, analogous to and unless compared to the first one, fair or unfair. Analogous to when Goose dies, that is impactful for all of our main characters mm-hmm. at hand. Where this death is really only impactful to Maverick. Because so he, he immediately there. gets fired. Like they're they're immediately like, "Well, he did. Out you go, fly boy." Like yeah, deuces. Yeah. Yeah, right. But, and but then he has to. Then he has he to steal. The didn't second he say like movie. John Hamm says like I you know I what a day for you so sorry take all the time you need you are fired. Um. Well, I, I think that he fired him as a second choice. I think what John Hamm was hoping he would say was yeah I need some time and I got to go. And since he didn't, he was like oh no uh, you're you need, that's you what it felt like to me. You're not allowed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You need you need some time. You need to go. So, the, the, and so and so then he steals the you know the second plane of the movie and then d- does the give and then Which, imbues his aren't there wouldn't the he need thirty or forty people just like the first time he stole the plane to that's steal that thinking, other plane? Yeah. They're like oh we don't yeah. have you on the mission log, sir. But they do have. He has uh, Hondo right, and Hondo mm-hmm. was kind of in loved, Team Maverick, and and he would yeah I mean he was he was. The guy he could he could rally the airmen to get yeah. that plane in the air. I think yeah, it's no. interesting that, that this movie like and and I'm I'm bringing this up now. Normally I would say this in the after show, but but um, uh, Brian has made a comment that I think is is really important about the way this movie is a little bit hand wavy to grief and um, and the way you know PTSD is is handled and and we get a scene where. Uh, Rooster and Maverick have a confrontation after the the two folks are shot down or mm-hmm. they crash a plane and but they're okay they just need to be in observation for a day and then they're fine and you think there's going to be a scene uh, some sort of reconciliation around um you know the grief that that Rooster has because his dad died in a similar vein Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's mm-hmm. there's some sort of thing that you want confrontation. And instead, it's just about how Maverick has pulled his papers and, and cost him four years of his career. You know what, man? You're still here. Like you're still one of the best of the best. You still feel the need for speed. Like, come on, you're you're fine. Like that felt like such a lightweight way to handle what was really hard in this movie. Yeah. And to Ocean's point, 
not killing a character in the act of doing the thing they're doing lessens the stakes and the ability for us to have a conversation about the way the movie handles grief and PTSD in the first place. Brian's point, in the first movie, Maverick goes to Top Gun because he's number one, because the number one basically has PTSD and drops out, right? This was in the opening shot. Mm -hmm. He has to go be on the wing to bring his buddy home. Um, And Maverick becomes the hero at the end after his love interest and everyone else tells him to get in the plane, finish school, and forget his own PTSD after Goose dies. Ugly 80s attitude on mental health. This movie does a bit better in that area with Phoenix. And I would would heavy up on a bit better um, because it it's not really much better. Like there's there's no real sense that anybody gets a chance to handle the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. They just wave it away and get back in the cockpit. And to do that, literally go steal a plane, tossed off as heroism. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't I don't remember Phoenix having any PTSD. Like she no, she not it, not her. Um, but but Rooster and Maverick. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. They're the yeah. ones who we're like are demonstrate. They're the vessels of grief that we have to 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 like use to understand what these characters are going through. They're the ones that that you know had an opportunity to teach us something through the process of how hard this is and how Maverick has matured and how he had to do some work. And you know, I I, I know we show up for this movie for the you know for the planes. And it's pretty lightweight on the other stuff. But this movie sets up that it's trying to do something maybe a little bit different. And I think it's it's uh, a little bit light. Yeah, so. I, 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 would, I would agree with that. It is, it is a bit uh, light in terms of any type of growth. I, I, yeah. I just left feeling that it's, it's the same. Like Maverick didn't yeah, grow it's the same. in the 30 years between. He didn't grow at the end of this movie either. He's, he's yeah. the same. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think that in the, I think that after this, like he will not stand in the way of Rooster being the next guy. And he'll be a better pilot in the end than Maverick was because he, he'll he have the gusto of Maverick, but the responsibility of like learning what he's learned, right? So he'll be the next generation of fighter pilot who like has that gut instinct but still has like a a sort of responsibility to the people around him and doesn't want to risk his friends you know so i could see another iteration of this movie where pete is finally retired and rooster is out there being in charge of even younger pilots no, Ocean see you, see you in again, years. again, again, again. We've we've been watching different movies. Uh, Rooster uh, wasn't <laughs> it's the mom uh, wasn't, and me. I just want everyone Rooster to. Good, <laughs> he wasn't a good enough pilot. Hang, uh, Hangman said it. He is not ready for this mission, and you know I'm right because he was right. To me, I think everything you're describing is more of what I view as with Hangman, where mm-hmm. he had the bravado of Maverick and the crazy will of the fly, crazy stuff and everything, but also the skill set of Iceman to be able to then do and accomplish those things you have moving forward. And I think that, in a sense, his character grew to care about other people where he previously had not. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I felt at the end. Whereas with Rooster and Maverick both, I felt that they always cared about people and each other they just were having a hard time getting through the fact that they were at loggerheads about what had happened early on in his career and that uh but that that the fact that hangman didn't leave him hanging out you know didn't leave him hanging to dry you know whatever it was at the end uh didn't leave him hanging at the end i i felt that he was more of a 
that, okay, he grew to where he actually said, okay, maybe other people matter too, and I'm not the only person in the universe that, that does matter. Um, and I think that he has the, the skill set and ability and all that other stuff that he would then move on. Where Rooster would just be, you know, a better version of himself. He was just himself. He was, he was just as good as he was before. I think yeah. you're underplaying Rooster. I think the whole point of the story is that, is, that, is that Maverick had to come into Rooster's life directly and, and push him to take on that crazy side of himself. Like maybe uh, Hangman was already there, that combination of ice, uh, Iceman, and, and he already had that, but Rooster had it unlocked. Like that's Rooster's character arc. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you had you slow rolled your way through Naval Aviator School, and now you're here, and now I'm picking you to do this job, and now when it counts, I need you to, to step up and unlock this, unlock the need, your actual personal need need for speed. And he did. Yeah. In the canyon run. Well, and that, and that's yeah, his Luke, but his Luke Skywalker moment. <laughs> yeah, so you Our know, sex. use the force. Um, exactly. Except his, you know, uh, yeah, and his dad did die in a plane. Yeah. You know, so I could see him having a cautious. Obi-Wan, yeah. then why, then, you know. Then why would you want your entire career to be, I'm going to get up and over plane? He's full. Look, we contain I mean, multitudes, in the, Ocean. He's in a plane yeah. in the Navy. You yeah. don't. There's lots of other jobs that are just boats. You, know, <laughs> you don't have to get into a plane. As Tom Cruise <laughs> says, so, so, I land on boats. I do not <laughs> sail. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you know, and so it's like, no, you, I guess I don't, uh, to me that that felt a little weird and hollow to me because because to get to where this character has to get to you're dealing with a very smart intelligent person and they've made smart intelligent decisions they've worked really hard to get to this point and then to act like okay well he's still dealing with the i mean i guess there is the whole you're still dealing with the trauma of your dad dying in a plane but to have that affect your flying is a weird thing to do because you you are smart you're capable you could have done but a he's just, million other things. You didn't have to become a pilot. He was just being careful, though. Like he was just—he got to the target. He just yeah. got there slower. He was the right? cautious so one. He yeah, was he the was. one who did it, but he did it the best. He didn't die. Right. He just got. He was. He was overly cautious and didn't trust his own force powers yet. So he <laughs> needed to like. No, he needed to like trust that the force was uh, uh living the force with was strong him. Strong, strong yeah, with exactly. him. Yeah, strong as a small pony. So that's. That's the that's it. That's the whole movie. So given that the bar you set earlier, um, Chrissy, did this movie with the fall below, meet, or exceed your expectations? It exceeded my expectations, number one, by being a movie. <laughs> so that right off the bat <laughs> exceeded my expectations. Two, uh, it it at least at least cleared the bar of like not all of the masculinity was toxic. It had at, at least one woman, at least one piece, some people of color, and at least one character who seemed like he wasn't that toxic uh, bully. Um, and it, it got me in the feels. It got me in the nostalgia of ha- loving the first movie as problematic as it is. I cried. I I laughed. I cheered. I I it did it for me. Yeah, I mean it it worked for me. I think it was it it, it was a 
kind of it was just too much of the same in so many ways that I uh, in terms of just leveling up the entire movie uh it was um it was just top gun redux and then there was the flying stuff which hit me so 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 hard uh in all of the right ways every time i just loved being in the cockpit with these people and i love what they did for just straight up like action filmmaking it is beautiful innovation and i can't wait to see kind of what comes next as as a result of of the effort that they put into this movie i think it was uh extraordinary to watch and an extraordinary i mean this is a movie for movie theater people like when they say you got to see this in the theater i don't agree with that very often like i love my home setup a lot and it's very comfortable and there are bathrooms and i can pause it and it's like great (laughs) in so many ways but this movie is uh, it's just better on Mm -hmm. the biggest screen you can find it really this is this is one of the candidates for that so um you know that's so did it meet exceed or far below what you expected oh uh I think it met what I expected. It met what I expected because it so far exceeded the flight stuff, even though it underperformed and everything else. Okay. But it did give us Tom Cruise aging. We didn't really say that. This movie shows Tom Cruise looking older than in any movie I've ever seen him look older in. He's unshaven in many places. Like, he just looks kind of scruffy with a little bit of wrinkliness to him, and that suits him. He's also... He is also short you'll notice when he is nose to nose with miles teller he's looking straight up at miles teller and normally tom cruise is apple boxes all the way as far as i understand it like he they played him uh as a human being and i think that was that that is actually a leveling up for me uh with this movie Mm. i really liked it it felt like a a human hero in in many natural ways that i thought was really satisfying yeah you know, I found for me that, that it, was, it was interesting when I thought about this, the the question that I asked at the end of all, all these podcasts about whether or not it, uh, you know, th- does it uh, meet or exceed your own expectations. I found this movie to be interesting to me in that the movie is entertaining. You're 100% right. See this in theaters. It's the way, it's the way to go. Uh, the bigger, the louder, the better, right, for everything they've done. And I did enjoy this movie. But it fell very much below my expectations. It was it wasn't what it wasn't as good as, and maybe it's, and I don't even know if this is a fair criticism or not. Like maybe it was it's below what I expected, and maybe it's below the movie I had in my head. I don't I don't, I don't know exactly yet. You know, like a great way to really kind of uh, you know a great way to describe all this. But I found that you know in the in the simplest of sense is. This is a good movie. I recommend people see it. It's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. But it was below what I what I expected to to see in in the theaters. And so I, th- I found that I found it interesting when I was looking at this this question yeah. that I pose all the time that I would ever have a movie that I felt that way about because because that in no way am I wanting to say this is a bad movie because it is not a bad movie. It is a right. good movie. And you've also it seen is, it twice, right? Both of you. I've have seen, seen it twice. twice. Yes, I've seen it twice okay. in theaters. Yeah, yes. I've, I right. still I only just saw it today. So I, you know, as we're recording okay. this, I've only just seen yeah. it once. But I think what's interesting about this whole conversation over the last hour and a half is that <laughs> it feels like you have been much more bullish on the film writ large than maybe you are, mostly because you've been in a defensive position 
<laughs> from me and Chrissy the entire time. Uh, and, and so no, we just saw different movies. We just saw different movies. All right. I saw That's an fair. Applebee's commercial. Did you guys not? <laughs> I was so hungry. <laughs> okay. We're on Letterboxd. Uh, True Story FM's family of film podcasts are all part of the Next Reels HQ page. Letterboxd is a great way to track movies you see, write your own reviews, and be part of a larger community of film lovers like yourself. Sign up for your own account today. And if you upgrade to a pro or patron account, use the discount code NEXTREEL at checkout and save 20%. This works for renewals as well. So, Pete... Oh, I get to well, you're gonna, how you're gonna you, make me go first. Yes, Pete. What is out of five stars? And you're gonna you're gonna start off. You're gonna, you're gonna set you're gonna set the bar for the rest of us to mm-hmm. either go over or below. Uh, what? How would you rate this movie? This was this was extraordinarily difficult for me, and I I don't know that I've completely landed. Part of my challenge is self inflicted because I'm now Pete. No half stars. Right. And mm. that's what's on my helmet is no half stars. Half that's stars? my call okay. sign. Yeah, no half stars. Um and because I, I think this is this is a movie that that might need a little bit more of the the gradient approach to to rating. I uh, there's there's a lot of just the the production stuff that I love uh, about this movie, and I think that elevates it. Um if if not for the plain stuff, it would be a three star. But I think it's going to end up for me a four star uh, and and a heart. I again, I was exhausted at the end of this movie because of just the experience of watching it. It was fun. Will it hold up at four stars on rewatch over months and years? I don't know, but uh, I had a ball right now. Okay, four stars a heart. Got it, Chrissy. Is it equally as good for you? No, I would say three stars and a heart. But for the reason Pete mentioned is that, like, I don't think I'll ever want to see this movie again. Like, if it's on, I might watch it, but I'm not going to be like, oh, you know what we should put on? Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, it was great. I enjoyed it. Now I can live the rest of my life without it. Wow. Well, I find that I'm going to agree with you, Chrissy, although I um, and I'm going to I wanted to do a half stars, but I feel that Pete has shamed me. Yeah. Into I, I kind of feel like do, I was also going to give it a half star. I, I was going to give it an extra half star, but I'm going to go. Nope. It is a three stars and a heart. I agree with you in that uh, from the, the, the rating point that you gave it. However, uh, especially with for me with the heart is always like if I would I want to watch it again this mm-hmm. is kind of my own personal you know since there's no rules about whether or not it has a heart to me that's what that's what I just do which is what I watch it again and I find that I will watch this again um, I, I will there's a possibility I, I mean I have some family members that still haven't seen it so there's a possibility I'm going to see this again in the theaters um, and, but I will definitely watch this again I think that there is um, there's a lot of entertainment here. The the airplane sequences are just amazing. Now, when I say I'm going to watch it again, am I going to sit down and watch it from beginning to end again? Maybe not. But I am going to jump to those plane scenes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, show up four or five minutes late. You're going to be fine. Well, n- no, no. You need to be there at the very beginning um, because that's be when you're being introduced. That's the on-ramp to the highway. 
to the danger zone. Oh, please. That's, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. It's on ramp to it's, to it's roadkill on the highway to the danger zone. It is. It's carcasses. It is an amazing sequence. Yeah. That, that's get mm-hmm. up out of your seat, get pumped up, and I'm getting ready for the show. Oh, man. That's, that's what I mean. It's check that's your phone. Check your yes. phones, everybody. Instagram is buzzing. You got yeah. five minutes. Yeah. No, you, you need to keep your eyes glued and your, and your ears peeled. Because Kenny Loggins has got something for you. Kenny All Loggins. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, uh, Chrissy and Pete, thank you both so much for joining me tonight to talk about <laughs> Top Gun Maverick or an Applebee's commercial. Yeah. Or Top Gun Maverick. Because I think the theme of this discussion has been we've seen two different movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so uh, Chrissy, what is, uh, what is coming up for you next in, the, in your podcasting world? Um, well, we, uh, just th- this week we have an episode on Terminator coming out. The most excellent 80s movies podcast Yay. is producing Terminator awesome. with special guest Ocean Murph. Maybe you've heard of him. <sighs> um, so that's really exciting and fun. Um, uh, we also did an episode on Weird Science, which is coming out soon. And, uh, you know, lots of, uh, other 80s. We've already done Top Gun, so that's already out of the bag. So. Uh, join, <laughs> listen to that episode and yell at me about it later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete, what's coming up with you? Uh, you know, we're wrapping up. We're we're heading into our July uh, hiatus on the next reel, and so we're we're wrapping up through the month of June with our uh, '90s comedy series. Um, and I'll just just the movies we're talking about for June: Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Clueless, The Last Supper, and Billy Madison. Um, wow. I. It, it's an eclectic group of it 90s is. comedies, uh, but I'm here for it. And next season, all I can say is, if you haven't liked our Mads Mikkelsen uh, series, if you haven't enjoyed the smaller fare that we've we've been doing over the last year, uh, this year we're going big, starting in August. I mean, so big. So, so big. That's all I'm going to say. Can't wait. Can't wait for the Buffy. The series, series is coming out soon. Again, thank you both for uh, joining me, and uh, thank thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the Film Board. And coming up next month, sorry, our next coming up, our next episode, Lightyear. A year of work for a four minute flight, isn't that something? <laughs> We're all ready if you are, sir. Well, let's go find out if this. <laughs> uh, we got a breach in the perimeter. Thank you. Buzz Lightyear mission log. After a full year of being marooned on this planet, our first test flight is a go. Let's get everyone home. Good luck, Captain. We're counting on you. Roger that. There's a star waiting in the sky. Hello, Buzz. Whoa. I am Socks, your personal companion robot. We'd like to come and We're being pursued by a just a massive robot. That was utterly terrifying, and I regret having joined you. Buzz. Lightyear! 
Let all the children do I can provide sleep sounds if you like. I have several options. Summer night, ocean paradise, whale calls. No, no. White noise is fine. Very well. Good night, socks. Good night, Buzz. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and the Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Next Reel.